What's going on, guys? Dustin with the LFG 1904 show. Proud to announce our partnership with Law Tigers. If you have been in a motorcycle accident, let's get you the compensation you deserve today and get you back on the road. Go ahead and call this number, 858-306-1986. Once again, that number is 858-306-1986. Law Tigers, nationwide, doesn't matter where you're at. Call that number, LFG. is hot it's the lfg 1904 show my name is graf welcome back guys my name is dustin and i'm brie welcome to the show welcome to the show very excited to be here very grateful to have you on it was like a, a crazy run of circumstances how you and i bumped into each other like happenstance For otter sure. god and uh i'm at born free i see kyle lives fucking there we go. Now people know that's not just some piece of trash in the studio. <laughs> We've got a piece of a wall of death inside of the studio. Yes. And uh, I was kind of nervous, like, walking up to him because, like, he knows a fuck ton of people. He recognized me and was like, dude, what the fuck is up? I was like, damn, made me feel good. So shout out to you, Kyle. And then you happened to be standing there talking about doing, you were doing photos that day at Born Free, right? Mm-hmm. And it, I saw you there, and then I saw you at Cook's Corner and invited you to come to Bike Fest and... Here we are. Here we are. It's fucking awesome. I love it. And we get to talk about recovery, so I'm stoked. That uh, was what blew me away is at Bike Fest, dude. I'm like just talk telling her about our brand. And she's like, Oh, I have fucking two years. I'm like, What? Wow. Yeah, that's cool. It's fucking awesome. Industry and recovery. Like that's fucking that's us. You know yeah. what I mean? So I feel like the really more cool. you're like the more I'm like I come out that I'm sober in the industry too, it's like the more people are like, So am I. Hey, I'm clean too. And it's like, oh my God, I love that. Like there's a lot of recovery in this industry that people aren't aware of. And they just don't broadcast it as much mm-hmm. or, and it's also like a big, like shining light. I feel like, cause there's so many people that are like fucked off and they're like, it's possible. Like my life doesn't uh, have to suck forever. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what I was going to say. There's been so many people that are, they'll reach out and be like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Like there's one dude and he's pretty, you know, he's IG famous, you know, in the, our, in our industry and he's gone in and out. And so now he has some clean time and he's like constantly talk, like shooting us like, I got this many months, I got this many months, you know what I mean? It's like, we're raw, we're cheerleading for him. For sure. Yeah, and we like, through the podcast, like uh, I have this guy, Evo Stevo 10 mil, he like, he's in Colorado, found our podcast and like, I, now I have this like ongoing relationship with this dude and he's wondering when I'm going to do shows out there in Colorado Springs, which I fucking hope is soon because... It's just, it's just cool to bump into all these fucking people. Yeah, 100%. I know, like, I've come across, like, so many new, really, like, enriching relationships that I've met just because of, like, social media, where you get to, like, broadcast a little bit more that you're sober, and, like, you start connecting with people that way, and then you're excited to meet them, and it just makes me really grateful to be here and get to talk to you guys about it. Mm. Be a good time. So, well, we always like to kick the show off with, where are you from? I am from Beaumont, California. Hey. Where? Where? <laughs> <laughs> I.E. represent. Shout out the Inland Empire. Yeah. And you're not, you're from like the sticks. Yeah, D.I.E. <laughs> it was but, rough growing up. But there's still some culture. You're not quite Indio. Yeah. Not quite Blythe. Beaumont. Beaumont. But there's a huge fucking freestyle motocross scene there. That's where I grew up riding. There's actually, um, if you guys are familiar with like those hills back there, there was an orchard right in front of it called Dowling's Orchard. And that was my stepdad's farm. And so ah. I grew up with my dirt bike on that property and then trying to keep up with all the guys that I grew up trying to ride with that were really rough on me of like, hey, like if you don't keep up, you kind of get lost in the hills and you get left. Like no one cared that I was a girl or that I was younger. So that's where I really kind of like got my thick skin when it came to like learning how to ride. Mm. That makes so much sense because you you carry yourself on a very like 
don't give me no shit and I won't have to give you no shit. Yeah. Like, Amen. that's what I, I like. Amen, she says. Dude, it's like, as soon as I, I met Brie, I was like, she's been in the industry a while because she takes zero yeah, shit, I yeah. can tell. No, I noticed that too. You're like major eye contact, shaking with authority. You know what I mean? Like, when I first <laughs> met you, I was like, all right. Yeah. I like, I like, especially women. I mean, I like guys like that too because a lot of guys won't be looking over at uh, you. Uh, hey, yeah. Uh, yeah, but. It's really cool to see women, especially in the industry, because it's such a guy cutthroat fucking business. You know what I mean? For but sure. More and more women. Like, there's some badass women writers, too. Oh, yeah. yeah 100%. I mean, and it is, it is tough to be, like, a female in this industry, because, yeah. like, not only do I have to prove that I'm, like, tough enough to hang with the guys, but I also have to win, like, your guys' wives' <laughs> yeah. approval at the yeah, same time. Right. So, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, so it's I got to work, like, double jobs, you know, in order to, like, get a, get a um, whether it's, like, a photo shoot or something else, like, I got to win both of your guys' approval instead of just one or the other. God, I didn't even think about that part. Yeah. It's so fucking true with our women, too. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> we love you. I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I love you so much. All right, here we go. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of, I didn't announce it last time, but uh, there was a hiatus because I had a baby. Yay. Very excited. Birdie Elizabeth, seven pounds, seven ounces. She ain't seven pounds, seven ounces now, but. <laughs> did she lose weight or did she? She's fucking getting huge, bro. Oh, okay. Because sometimes they drop weight. She went down and then fucking. Yeah. <laughs> good. That's good. That's yeah. all good signs. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a treat. Yeah. We were we were out for a minute. Yeah. It felt like it, but it was only yeah. a week. Really? Yeah. I thought we would miss two shows. Maybe. Yeah. Keep Beaumont. it trucking, though. <laughs> Beaumont. So you grew up on a farm? Like uh, not working? so much like grew up on the farm, um, but I grew up out on that orchard a lot. Yeah. So I started working like when I was really young, um, like bagging fruit, things like that. Mm. And I have a stepdad and a dad that were both awesome in my life. And they were two completely different people. My dad was the kind of guy that's like, if you have something really nice, you should be able to afford to pay someone to take care of it. And versus my stepdad was the kind of guy, like, if you have something, you don't deserve it if you don't know how to take care of it. So I kind of had, like, both of those worlds at the same time. So I, I was really blessed to have those types of influences. So that's where I grew up, like, really learning how to ride. And um, my dad was the same way where, like, I can remember times being out back in those hills in Beaumont. And my dad would take me out by myself, and he'd put me at the bottom of a hill, and he would like continuously put me up on harder obstacles and he'd tell me at the bottom of the hill like if you can't climb this hill like we're taking your bike and we're selling it uh. and i'd be sobbing because <laughs> they would be hard hills. Like, <laughs> i'm like 12 and i'd be crying this on my bike this is step-down. this is real dad oh. and i'd be and my dad was like a coach you know like <laughs> i was like his son i was not like <laughs> like my brother was playing music and i was the athlete so yeah, it was brie but it was supposed to be brian okay <laughs> and so um you know that's what i really like kind of like i said got my thick skin from learning how to ride and grew up that way and i think that's what i can attribute a lot of my hard work to now love to hear a good stepdad story yeah they're both I got awesome a, i got a fucking rock star stepdad and i'm trying to be one myself so that's fucking love that and then fucking pops though sticking it to you that's what well, we're we're doing that right now mm-hmm. it's that tough parenting but like it's like you don't see a lot of that these days and i'm so thankful my parents were tough on me like that because it made me who i am and i know i have like the confidence now to like go through and see a project all the way through so home life it sounds like it wasn't like crazy out of the ordinary or was there a little little, little degeneracy a little bit of both yeah. um i mean i a lot of and i think a lot of people in general but especially women um can share my story that like i was sexually abused at a really young age and with someone in my dad's side of the family as like a step-sibling and so we grew up with that. My brother, my real blood brother and I grew up with that sexual abuse and kind of like 
no one believed us when it had happened. And so I kind of like took that story into like, it doesn't really matter what I do because no one's going to believe me anyways. And so that really showed up in like my drinking and like wanting to act out and get attention. And I started drinking once I was 12. And then by the time I was like 13, you know, I'm like popping Vicodin. I'm smoking weed already. And I had already developed that obsession for mm. alcohol that they talk a lot about in the 12 step program that we have, where it's like, that's all you think about is like, how am I going to get my next drink? And here I am getting into high school and I'm trying to live a double life by like being a student athlete, trying to get straight A's, trying to earn a scholarship for volleyball because that was a sport that I was playing at the time. And yet I'm also over here, like running around with these crazy group of people, you know, selling drugs, getting drunk every spare second that I can. And um, it's ultimately what led to my demise, you know? Yeah. So my like my family life growing up for the most part was pretty good. And at the same time, like sometimes when I tell people, they're like, ooh, it wasn't that good. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I had a roof over my head. Like I got to play all the sports I wanted to play. Um, my parents loved me a lot. Um, but we had our struggles too. And like, there was a time where it really sucked to go home because everyone kind of hated each other and we were all really angry. And yet we were all dealing with addiction and drinking and not knowing how to communicate and not knowing what recovery was. So it did affect me on a level. Wow. Who else is in recovery besides you? Um, my mom and my aunt. So my mom was a meth addict for about 10 years, I think. And then she got sober before she had me, but she continued drinking and then I had an aunt who was, like, a severe alcoholic, and, but she's got almost, like, 30, 30 years, I think, sober. So mm. by the time I came around and I was ready to start, like, hey, I'm ready to get some help, I kind of had some people to already lean on oh, that had, like, sure. paved the way for me. Right, for sure. Definitely. A mental obsession, uh, mental obsession, physical allergy, like, that is a fucking, that's one of my favorite portions of the big book. Mm-hmm. Like, right in the doctor's opinion, it just speaks fucking volumes to everything that I've gone through. Yeah. And I didn't know that that was something everyone else was struggling with. Like, I just thought that was like normal where like once I was really heavily drinking, like around the clock, early 20s, I can remember like that's all I thought about. You know, like my whole schedule was around when am I going to get my next drink? I made routes around liquor stores and no one really knew I drank like that either. I was very good at like hiding this part of my life. And you know, I was going to the liquor store before I would go to my job at the bar because I could fill up my water bottle with just enough like vodka Red Bull. And then I was already planning what I was going to drink on my shift drink and then where I was going to stop to get a drink on after. And it's like when you were, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but like when I started to run low, you know, like my panic meter would be going way up. Like, where am I going to get this next drink from? Because I know I'm going to start getting shaky. I'm going to start getting irritated. I'm going to start to come down and then I'm just going to be a mess until I can get my hands on something. Mm. Thousand percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. That's a life of a fucking addict. Mm-hmm. The only thing I kept playing through is like being at the dealership and one of the specifically like Temecula Nissan, there was a liquor store right next to it. And I would fucking walk there and get like airplane bottles throughout the shift. And then like as the shift got closer to the end, we'd go get Mike's Harder because that didn't smell as bad as fucking yeah. beer and like just make do for a twelve hour shift. Yeah, right. How about trying no, nobody's answering the phone, so you have to get on a trolley all the way to Tijuana to go pick up your heroin. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I get the idea of panic mode. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fuck. Yeah, I just fucking in the goddamn trolley. Just, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> Hurry up. I really hope he's there. <laughs> Paco, please don't keep me fucking waiting. Well, no, it's always open there. That's why you just, you don't even call any more people. You just go head down there. Yes, head on back, head on down, and you <laughs> it's know my you last can go. resort, but I know it's guaranteed. Uh, yeah. God yeah. damn, it's fucking brutal. Taking brutal. the trolley, yeah, bro. <laughs> bro, that's when I was homeless. Ugh. How so, do you take the trolley? Like, how much does the trolley cost? 
I, I didn't pay for it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. hopped on. Just like everybody else. Yeah. You yeah, just I'm get on. Just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you hop on, and then the moment that you see a cop, because very rarely, well, at least back then, they would go inside and check people. They would always be outside. So once you see them walk inside the trolley, you just get off on the next one and then wait for the mm. next trolley to come. Hmm. There's a, there's a little fun fact for all you fucking junkies out there. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you're trying to fucking come up. Yeah, right. Damn, what year was that? Jeez, uh, I'm so bad. Probably 2011. God, like I was 21 2000. in 2011. I was graduating yeah. high school. Really? Yeah. yeah, I had a needle in my arm by then. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. In my neck, more, more <laughs> I, I Zero. I was a pus pocket, so. Jeez. And now it's fucked up because, real quick story, went to Wyoming. And the fucking altitude and all this shit, and I was kind of getting sick, you know what I mean? Fucked me up. And so my brother-in-law is a para, well, para, fireman paramedic, and then my stepmom or my mother-in-law, she's a nurse. And so they brought an IV. They're trying to poke me to give me some fluids. They couldn't even find a vein. Oh, God. <laughs> so Still haven't bounced back. They were talking about <laughs> shooting in, like, my head and my neck and my foot. And I said, no, no, no. Jesus. <laughs> We're, we're not we're putting good. fluids yeah, in no. my neck. We're, we're Patty. okay. <laughs> this is the life of a fucking dope fiend, and I, I am, I'm okay. But it's funny because like when I go and get blood work, I'm like, all right, listen to me, fucking whatever your nurse's name is. You got to go right here. <laughs> go right here. That's the only spot you're gonna be able to go. You know what? Just give me the fucking tile. Yeah. <laughs> I'll fucking I do it. I swear to God, there's been one time where she's like, I just can't get it. I go, do you want me to do it? <laughs> <laughs> I know my body. Yeah. I don't miss. Okay, honey. <laughs> I'm a sure thing. All right. It's funny that you can laugh about it now. You have to, dude. You have to laugh about the stories. And, like, I think that's how you know, like, true addicts from not. Like, when you start telling your stories with other addicts, they're laughing because they've, be, like, they've been that or they've shared that mentality mm. versus, like, I've tried to share my story with, like, normal people. And they're like, oh, oh sweetie, oh are you okay? I'm like, that never works. Dude, yeah. like, it's funny. Like, you got to just. Can I hug you? Yeah, I know. No. <laughs> they're like, are you okay? I'm I like, know. you got to just let me laugh it off because now it is funny. Yeah. You know? Totally. God. I, I get that at work all the time. They're like, oh, you're in recovery. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think they think, like, I mean, not to minimize it, but, like, pills or, you know, alcohol Cocaine. or weed. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, and I'm not saying all that shit is bad. I mean, it's all fucking part of the disease. You know what I mean? But then I start telling my story, and they're like, oh. <laughs> I always have this face, like, oh, why can't you fucking ask me? Yeah. Don't fucking yeah. ask me, you fucking prick. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I, was, I was real as you come. I'm, I mean, especially when I was new at the job. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I was really shaky then. Yeah. You know, I've been there for a while now, but still. So was her heroin is your drug of choice then? Yeah. It's but so it funny. It started with alcohol and pills, though. For sure. And it's I think it all leads to it. And I remember when I had to meet with my sponsor and she's wanting, you know, to get to know me. And so she's like, let's go over everything you've ever done. Go ahead and list all the drugs, like yeah. anything you've drank. And I'm going on. I'm creating this, like, fucking laundry list. And I'm like, oh, but I never, I've never done anything hard like heroin. And she's like, honey, everything you've done is hard. And I'm it like, is. oh, oops, like, yeah, <laughs> like, and really I used bad. to, I really like compared myself, like, oh, as long as I'm not doing heroin, then I'm okay, you know. And so, like, that to me was always like, it's always interesting to like talk to other people that have gone through that and have recovered from that, because mm -hmm. to me, like, and I don't like, and I don't ever want to come from like, oh, I was a better than like person, but like, I really held myself, like, even though I am like borderline homeless, I'm rolling change for groceries, I have no fucking money, my life is on fire, mm -hmm. you know, I look like shit, I feel like shit, I'm in and out of the hospital, but at least I'm not doing heroin. Right. You know? There or is meth. Or, or meth. I, I, said well, that, I said that for a while. Too. I didn't <laughs> smoke it, so that's what I And then I, I tried it, and I was like, oh, fucking fuck what I used to say. <laughs> <laughs> this shit is fucking great. Fuck cocaine, fuck pills, let's fucking go. Dude, I, yeah. so I have dabbled in just about everything multiple, multiple times, and I'll never forget doing meth shooting meth the first time and be like 
it, it in my head I remember saying out loud, "Oh, it all makes sense now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I know why fucking people don't do cocaine anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's cheaper. It's, it's just, fucking. It's just a, you, you've never done meth. <coughs> I think I snorted it a couple I was about times. To say, you lived in fucking Beaumont. That's like the capital. Yeah. I know. That's where you get the good glass. Hammett, like <laughs> Hammett Anza, oh, Hammett, like that yeah. whole area. Anza was like. The number one meth, that was the meth capital of the world at mm-hmm. one time. Really? Anza. Anzo Brago. Yeah. It was like, they said that there was more trailers <coughs> with fucking, that were cooking meth than anywhere in the world. Damn. In like the late 90s, uh, or I'm sorry, late 80s, early 90s. It was definitely around me, but again, that was one of those things where it was like, Ew. I I was trying Ew. to look at my life like oh like I'm snorting cocaine with millionaires like <laughs> yeah yeah ew like you you gonna meth like you're gonna <laughs> smoke that like that's gross we snort yeah. that over yeah. here <laughs> <laughs> oh honey yeah. you okay yeah. like I really wow, did like you're I thought really fucked up I, that's part of the disease right is yeah. you kind of like compare yourself to like mm-hmm. well I'm not that like rain gutter drunk I'm not homeless yet I'm not like prostituting yeah. yet I'm not doing all these things but people fail to follow up that statement with a yet. Like, it really is just a matter of time before we all end up there. It's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Always is. So you, it sounds like you go through high school, flying colors, streamers, everything's good. Get into your 20s. Did Was college on the table? College was on the table for sure. Um, yeah, like, I got, you know, I started getting really violent in high school. I started fighting a lot, and I'm like, this was, like, my, like, I got bullied a lot growing up. And then White I girl finally, in Beaumont. Finally, like, fought someone, and then it's like, oh, like, this gets you respect. Like, people mm. don't step to you or talk shit about you when you get violent. So, like, I just associated that really quick with a solution. And I kind of went through high school, like, you know, I'm, I'm, like, being put on, like, probation, and I'm having to do community service because I keep getting, you know, arrested and in trouble at school. But I'm also trying to, like, be this, like, student athlete because I really wanted a scholarship because I loved playing sports. So, I did start to go to college for a little bit. However, by the time I was 17, I got kicked out for my drinking. And I'm 17, I'm in college, and now I have nowhere to go. And my dad at the time had did like a short sale on his house. And so he's like, well, we're not in the state anymore, but we can keep the utilities on in this house until the sale goes through. So essentially I was like squatting in like my dad's house at like 17, trying to go to college, trying to work. And I was in a relationship where of course he, you know, we fueled each other's partying. Like we were just terrible for each other. And I had no one to, like, monitor my drinking. So that was, like, really big during, like, the Four loco craze. Oh, yes. Uh, so, oh, yeah, wow. I'm getting slammed off Four locos yes. at home, you know, mm. also trying to, like, study. And, of course, eventually, like, I couldn't keep that up. So I dropped out of college after the first year. Mm. And where did you go work? A bar. A bar. Absolutely. Yeah. A bar. Um, I loved working in the bars. I loved drinking on the job. I loved being drunk at work. That was, like, my favorite thing to do. And so then I had the great idea, well, I'm going to do EMT school. So I went through, I was still trying to like, there's definitely a part of me that's like, you know, I want to do good. And I think that's the story for a lot of us. Like, we don't want to be fuck ups. Like, Mm. I'm not trying to like burn my life down. I really just don't have a choice right now because like, I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic. And so, yeah, I managed to like do school for a little bit. And then I was um, raising my brother through high school. So he was... 16 I believe when he moved in with me and so I got child support for a little bit but once he turned 18 I didn't have child support and so that really sucks trying to pay rent like I was working two jobs and I'm 20 about to turn 21 at the time and we get this great idea that we should move to Las Vegas oh and I'd like hello this is great Vegas is so cheap Vegas is so much cheaper <laughs> than anywhere and else. it's just as hot as Beaumont and it's just as hot so we're used to the heat so we start looking up houses and 
we go and we stay with my dad for a little bit out in Kingman, Arizona, which is just another nice. nightmare yeah. to be out and when you're struggling Lovely with drugs. City. Lovely. <laughs> and we go out, we get a uh, we get a house, and my brother and I, um, we both get a job at Macaroni Grill, which is stupid because my brother and I are ridiculous together. Like <laughs> no no one should have ever hired us at a job <laughs> together. So that wasn't gonna last long, but it was really quick that I'm like, dude, I can't afford working like this restaurant gig anymore while you're here with me. Like, I'm trying to take care of you. Meanwhile, I'm also, like, drinking around the clock still. Him and I are fighting. We're constantly calling the cops on each other because we're so violent with each other. But yet, like, we're all we have. You know, my brother and I is, like, that's the only person in the world who knows exactly what I've been through. He's been through it, too, and so he's got my back. So we end up, um, I end up reaching out to another friend of mine because I knew she was making money, and I'm like, hey, like, how are you surviving in Vegas? Like, where's the good, like, cocktail waitressing jobs or whatever? And she's like, oh, you should come apply at this place that I work at. It's called Crazy Horse 3. And I'm like, well, what's that? So then I go there, and she's like, you're going to be a cocktail waitress here, but you have to bring, like, lingerie, and this is what you're going to do. And I'm very, like, I don't even know what's going on. Before I know it, I'm, like, auditioning on a pole. And then they're like, Oh, she's like, oh, no, you're actually going to apply to be, like, a stripper. And I'm like, dude, I don't she know how to strip. She straight pimped you the fuck dude, out. Dude, like this said. girl was my pimp. This woman was my pimp during that Damn. time. She was crazy. I love it. Women she are was, fucking savages. She was Straight crazy. savages. And so she straight up pimped me into yeah, the yeah, strip for club. Sure. Quick and question. Did yeah. she hand you a Xanax before you went and did this audition? No. Oh, I had an ex-girlfriend. I didn't even drink before. Oh, my God. Oh, you did, You were drinking by then? I, I w- did not get to drink before I went on oh, got stage. It, got it, got it, got it. So got it was it. really rough. I had this ex-girlfriend. We broke up. She moved back to where we were living before in Carolina. And she just called me like a month after and was like, so I work at Driftwood now. I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? And like, she's like, well, I showed up for a waitressing gig and I was given a Xanax. And the next thing I knew, I was stripping on a pole. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, right. damn. It's really fast. Yeah. It's really fast. Well, I ended yeah. up like loving it. Like it was so much fun because I'm like, wow, like I get all this attention. I get all this money. I get tipped in cocaine. Like this, <laughs> is, this is fucking great, you yeah. know? And yeah. then you learn the game where it's like, it's really just about who you can pay off to get the better client. So it's like, it was just really fun before it wasn't fun. You know, and then it's just like I've heard it before in meetings, and maybe you guys have heard it. You've heard it too, where it's like it's fun, and then it's fun with consequences, and then it's just straight consequences. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it just became this like miserable black hole within like a matter of months, where I just hated myself, and now I'm like really struggling. And it's like even though I'm making all this money, I'm literally going to my dealer's house directly after every single shift, trying to pick up whatever I can. I'm blacked out, drunk every single shift. Like I'm showing up in my driveway sometimes. Like I don't even remember how the fuck I got home, Mm. you know, or like you wake up in your own bed and you're like, I don't even know if I like properly clocked out last night or like, you just don't remember. You got to like check out. Okay. You got to like tip out and kind of like there's a series of it's pretty strict. It's actually pretty expensive to be a stripper in Vegas. I learned you got to have like 350 bucks to be able to like walk in the door. And that's what you got to make before you can break even. Damn. That's a lot. It was was tough. I I bet bet you get that within the first fucking 15 minutes. You can. There's nights. There were a couple nights like during there's like slower times where like you can potentially leave negative. And I really wasn't like that like seductive like I wasn't that good at it like I didn't really do much on the pole <laughs> that makes sense um, <laughs> it's like bro what's up <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, pretty okay, much here I am I'm here to like fucking money we can talk and I would try to really find guys that would like be down to like have a conversation and that didn't want other girls coming over to them because I was good at that like dude we can chop it up and like hang out but I really wasn't that good so I'd have to get blacked out drunk to even be comfortable doing that right. you know so it was like a mind fuck the whole time right damn Hey, back up for a minute. 
The guy that did that to you and your brother, is he, is he dead now? No. Oh, I wish he was. Oh, we do too. No, it's a, it's, I could dive into like a whole Yeah, no, I didn't want to do that, but I was just thinking that, about yeah. it because that's really fucked up, especially for your brother and you. I mean, anybody, yeah, anybody. He, you he lives that. a very miserable life now. Good. And so, um, I just kind of look at that as like, well, God took care of that one for me then. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in my opinion, they should all die. That's, yeah. that's just my own belief though. No, I believe it too. Please. Right there with you. It's, that is, seems to be the centerpiece for the rest of the story. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. so you're 21, making grips of cash, fucking miserable. Miserable. Absolutely hate it. And I and I try to talk when I can, especially to, like, younger women, too, because I have friends all the time. And, like, there's nothing wrong with doing OnlyFans. There's nothing wrong with stripping at all. However, what a lot of people aren't aware of is the toll it takes on your mental health of, like, being constantly available to men or women and having to, like, put yourself out there. Or, like, you know, I ask people, like, well, do you have to drink before you do that? Even if you're not an alcoholic, but if you have to, like, start numbing yourself to do that, like, that's just a recipe for disaster. And then on top of it, like, nothing has ever compared to the money I made stripping. And that sucks. It's like a trap. And so I feel like for the girls who get stuck in that trap of, like, like what's your exit plan? If you're going to go into it, by all means, like, you should do it if you really think it's going to benefit you. But <coughs> have an exit plan so you don't get trapped and, like, I can't do anything else because the money doesn't amount to it. Mm. So it's real. it's a really tough, like subject i think and so many people want to like empower women to do that and that's that's great but um i wish more people and more women would speak out about how much it can really damage your health yeah i i'm all for it as long as it's not hurting you yeah if it's fucking causing you fucking controversy within your life it's probably not the best decision exactly but live your life make your money however the fuck you want yeah because if i was a woman can't say that i wouldn't be doing the same yeah you know what i mean but i also probably would be a miserable fucking drunk. Yeah. I've got friends that do it and I'm like, I love that as long as you're happy. Yeah. You know, and then I have other friends that are like, I'm thinking about doing it, but I'm struggling with drugs and alcohol. And I'm like, don't, Please don't, don't do it. Cause it's just going to fuel the shame, which like we struggle with as addicts, you know, that shame and guilt we have in those secrets and those secrets fucking keep us and they eat us alive. I, I personally think that eventually time they're going to have a lot of regret, no matter what the circumstances is like me and Graf were talking about the other day, like 20 years from now, people that were, you know, Instagram famous and OnlyFans famous, they're going to be like, no, you did that one. A long time ago, you did that one yep. thing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of people doing some way out shit now on the internet. And eventually, they're going to be, it doesn't matter if they're alcoholic or not, they're going to be like, fuck, I really did that? There for has to, for right? $6.99 a month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, there's going to be, there, there's going to be more, more to come. More will be revealed with all this, I, I think. It just sucks. <laughs> it's like the situation you've, like, and I really think it was the pandemic that, like, painted this picture and, like, Josh knows. Josh sold a car to a woman who was making 40 grand a month. Yeah. Hard to knock that. No, for sure. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm not I, making no 40 grand a month. Fuck, that's for sure. You know what I mean? Like, I'll shake my wee-wee for 40 Jesus a month, like, all day, you know? Yeah. And I could probably live with that regret. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But it's, like, it's the pandemic perpetuated this, like, uh, oh, it's all good. But, like, nobody had, like, the, the availability to see the forest through the trees on it, like. Yo. This could shake out poorly. Yeah, like yeah. it's on the internet forever. It's, it's not. Out there. It's different than stripping. Like this is on the internet. Yeah. So that remains to be seen. So what did what did how long did that last? That was like eleven months. Like Vegas Damn. literally like chewed me up and spit me out. Fuck. It was so fast that I was like just my whole life was in flames. But I ended up meeting a guy, 
while I was there. Surprise. Surprise. And my, oh, my rescuer. He's going to rescue ah, me, yes. which like every girl wants in the strip club. Like we are waiting for that super rich guy to walk through the door. who's going to see us and our potential. And he's going right. to sweep us off our feet and take us out of this miserable place that we don't want to be in. And I found that guy. And he had a kid, and so he lived out in Colorado, and so the solution was for me to go move in with him. And as time went on, of course, like, you start to find out each other's secrets and, like, oh, come to find out he's got a past and he's got a drug problem, and eventually, like, you know, he's doing this, and so it's making me drink more, and then I'm drinking more, so it's making him use meth. And it's just this whole, like, we are tearing each other's lives apart. At the same time, we also have, like, this really great Internet image of being, like, we were really heavily involved with um, personal development seminars at the time. And so I have a really extensive background like in personal development work and seminars and coaching. And we are living this life on one side where like we're coaching people and like we're trying to change the world and like world peace one mind at a time. Like I really lived that. But at the same time, we also have this addiction that's like eating us up and we're tearing each other's lives apart doing it. So eventually that crashed and burned as well. Mm. What a combination. Yeah. I I couldn't imagine being hammered drunk around a tweaker. That would just drive me up a fucking wall. It was miserable, yeah. Because, you know, like, you're, I'm hungover, and I'm trying to, like, wake up in the morning. Meanwhile, he's still up. Taking apart like, the remote. Yeah, <laughs> taking apart the remote, and it's constant porn addiction. And so, like, that's just, like, you know, you're trying to understand that. We're trying to, like, just two puzzle pieces that don't match, but we're kind of from the same puzzle, you know what I mean? So it was just rough. Yeah. Slamming. Yeah. <laughs> this, Fit. This, this will work. Yeah. Fit. <laughs> Damn, we're in Colorado. Um, Like, southeast Aurora. So near Denver. I only know Aurora for one thing. Yeah, most people do. Yeah. Yeah. When I told my parents I was moving there, they were like, well, why? <laughs> like, well, that's not going to the movies where this man is. So we fueled each other's addictions. Um, and and that was during the time when I really started to notice, hey, I've got a problem because now we're going to events and we're speaking at events like I'm going on stage and I'm speaking to people or I'm hosting calls with like thousands of people on them. And I've got a drink before I do it. And I'm, I'm telling myself at the time, like, oh, just to relax myself. You know, I did a little bit of network marketing, and that's a very, like, wine mom scene. You know what I mean? And so, like, it was all kind of, like, encouraged. Like, oh, everyone grab your glass of wine before we yeah. get on the phone. And um, it wasn't that big of a deal. And so I would go to these events, and I was scared because I knew I was probably going to black out. Or, like, I remember one time, like, you know, like, when you have, like, that first experience, like, when you piss the bed from yeah. being drunk, you know, and then it kind of turns into a habit, and you got to start, like, planning, like, your sleepovers of, like, God, i got to share a hotel room with these people. Like, am I going to fucking piss the bed? Because <laughs> I uh. can't control. <laughs> Damn, like, Brie. It's it. fucking real, though. Like, yeah. real like real alcoholics piss the bed. Yeah. Never, and no one wants that? to talk I piss the bed. That. Okay, yeah. I was about yeah. to say, whoa, whoa, you wait. Oh, you've never done I've that. i pissed the bed. <laughs> Every, like, we all have. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. but a lot of people don't want to talk about that because that's, like, that okay. fucking shameful stuff, you know? But, like, that's the truth. No one wants to acknowledge that. But so if you're pissing the bed, you might have a drinking problem. You yeah. know, oh. heads up. Yeah. <laughs> heads up. Pissing the bed's not normal. Ugh. It's not. Yeah, no. It's <laughs> normal people don't go, fuck, piss the bed again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Funny drunk story real quick. <laughs> yeah, yes. So I'm fucking drunk as a skunk, right? And I start to go pee in the bed and I woke up. That's fucking rare. And then I peed in my fucking hamper. Thought it was in a fucking urinal. Yeah, that's a fucking. Uh, I love getting Dustin stories. He'll he'll uh, trickle these bad boys out every now and then. Oof, Pissed brutal. in the hamper, huh? Yeah, right in the double wide. On the, the fucking wall, you know what I mean? Like I'm at the fucking urinal. <laughs> oh man, you ever picked up a fucking the the day old beer with a cigarette butt in it and just drink it, oh, and not yeah. even care? Oh yeah, or chewing tobacco. 
Oh, yeah. not the spitter. I've done that too. Oh. God damn. I've been Just around. Anything. <laughs> I've been around, boy. <laughs> I've definitely dug the vodka bottles out of the trash, but I've never drank anything with like the actual cigarette in it. But off the ground, like, like when you, I don't know if you guys go like to dinner with the normal people now, and you ever see them like not finish their drink, and you're oh, like, oh, it's the worst. What's wrong with you? Do that, dog. Losers. Like, fucking losers, man. Like, <laughs> my homies yeah. could never understand it as a kid. Yeah. We'd buy a case of beer, and I would have to like, we'd have to finish it. They're like, oh, dude, yeah? why yeah, can't yeah. you just have a? few? I don't know. Yeah. it's there. It has yeah. to be drank. That's the rules. It. It's nuts. Yeah, it's this fun. motherfucker knows exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, like other people's beers? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So I'm sniping beers, bro. Hey, wait. <laughs> well, he still does that. Wait, wait. He still does that with food. <laughs> yeah, straight up. Uh, especially our boy Mike. He would get hammered drunk, and he would open a beer and leave it. I'd be like, "That will be mine in 30 minutes." <laughs> yeah. It's sad when people start to rely on you to finish their drinks, because that was me. They'd go, oh, well, Brie will drink this. Brie will want this. And I'm like, yeah, fucking hand it over. That's me. I'm fucking great. I'll finish your drink. Look at me. Dude. What just sucks is he has no microphone right now to hear what he's <sighs> talking about. It's even funnier. Yeah. But it's all right. One day I'll have Josh and then my best friend from back home, Zach. Zach has some funny fucking stories about me. I almost want to share one of them. Go ahead. Go All it. right. I mean, come on. You're already here. Hey, we're already open the door. So Door's open. Me and Zach have been friends since I was like 13. And then I go off and join the Marine Corps and I come home on leave. And I had this girlfriend in high school and she won't remain nameless. Sure. And uh, <laughs> let's just call her Annabelle. Annabelle has right. fucking put on some weight. Got okay. It. That's not stopping me. Of course. Right. I get hammered drunk. Annabelle's there. Zach is <clears throat> with somebody before his wife. Doesn't count Kenyon. And uh, <laughs> they're on the stairs, and I'm on the couch with Annabelle. And uh, she's like, I'm not hooking up with you tonight. And I'm like, that's fine. That's cool. I'm just going to take my pants off. <laughs> so, this motherfucker's on the stairs with his chick watching me, like, take my pants off, trying to be so smooth. <laughs> and Annabelle did not put out. So I rolled onto the floor, passed for out. You, Annabelle. Yeah, straight up. You deserve better. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're doing all right yeah, out there. I hope you're doing okay. Yeah. But yeah, that tasty B graph stories. I'm just going to take my pants off. I'm just going to take my pants off <laughs> down the stairs. <laughs> Shh, <laughs> hey, does everybody see this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to get a microphone for that because these are too good already. Your facial expression huh? on that last one. Oh, fuck. He was laughing so hard that he was drooling. Yeah. So, I mean, if you can't get that on video, what the fuck are we doing here? Jesus Christ. This is true. <laughs> He's talking about the La Quinta story. So when I first moved to California 10 years ago in August, the, I worked at Zoomies with Josh, and we, we, That's great. we had oh, to get a room great. at the La Quinta. Well, I got blackout drunk and caused a fucking scene about how I used to live in hotels. And fucking, they end up, <laughs> him and another dude have two chicks, and they're like, bro, you are harshing the fucking vibe. You need to go. So our store manager takes me on this fucking run from Moreno Valley to fucking Rancho Cucamonga, and then the whole time I'm just telling him drunk stories about the gnarly shit I did before I got to California. Just, I'm a fucking walking shit show. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I see yeah, you over there. Right. All right. 
Back to our guests. Jesus. <laughs> Sorry to hijack this. I love it. I love the drunk stories. I do. Uh, so from Colorado, where are we at? Yeah, by the time I'm in Colorado, um, I get in a pretty gnarly car accident. So that puts me on a lot of pain pills. And that kind of took me out of the gym at that point. And that's like when I really started to like pack on weight. So like up to this point, I'd been like pretty like slender, fit, in shape, going to the gym. I cared about my health, but you know, I'm still drinking excessively. And again, like I'm aware I've got something around drinking, but I'm not too sure. And I really don't, I'm not trying to like figure it out because I don't want to quit drinking. Hello. Um, but you know, then we've got some access to pills. My ex has like this insane Adderall prescription. So I just had like endless amounts of Adderall. And then it's like, you start figuring out, oh, I can snort this when I run out of the cocaine and you're mixing that constantly. And then it's like, I can't drink without an upper. I have to have my hands on something while I drink to maintain me because I know I drink so much at this point that like, I don't want to black out. And if I can take enough Adderall and kind of like create this like formula, I can stay up all night and remember the night and like drive and stuff like that. I had no business driving, but I was always behind the wheel, always. And I get to a point where um, I start learning that uh, I am relying on alcohol in the morning because I'm getting the tremors. And so I finally get to this point where like, you know, I lose the seminar job. I'm working back at a bar again. And, you know, I lose the online network marketing funnel that we had. So it's kind of like we're slowly crashing and burning. We went from starting like really high and we're slowly kind of like withering down. And um, at the same time, my dad gets diagnosed with throat cancer. And of course, that just like funnels my drinking more and more. And I have this like, I'm really struggling with money. So and I knew that at the time, uh, do you guys ever look at like the price of like liquor now? And I'm like, dude, there's no way I could afford to drink now yeah. with as expensive as it is. It's getting expensive. It's so I'm like, God, I'm so glad I don't spend money on that. Because back when I was drinking, I used to get these um, like little half pint Amsterdam bottles of yeah. vodka. And you could get at my liquor store three for five. And it was so bad that my liquor store guy, like, uh, he knew, like, my whole life story. You yeah. know, I'd be, like, drunk. And I'm like, uh, dude. <laughs> How's it Let going, Let me tell man? you. <laughs> got any plans this Christmas Eve? You know, like, it yeah. was so bad that this guy, like, knew my life. And to the point where my liquor store guy was kind of like, sweetie, <laughs> are you, like, you don't want to drink this much. And I'm like, nah, it's fine. Yeah, I'm fine. And so I'm drinking these. I'd have, like, this, like, two and a half, like, half pints at night. And then that would get me through. I'd have, like, my little pint or half pint left over in the morning and that would like carry me through my day and I'm drinking around the clock and I kind of know like hey I'm starting to have a problem because at this point I'm going in and out of the emergency room where I'd have these heart palpitations and so like you'd wake up you're coming down and I'm having a hard time breathing my chest is super tight and then I'd go to the emergency room because I'm like really scared I'm like holy shit like I think I'm gonna have like a heart attack right now and I'd go into the emergency room and you know I'd tell them oh hey like my, my chest hurts like I'm having a hard time breathing and I learned that that is like your ticket to the front of the line. <laughs> so now I've got my routine every like I'm going into the ER like every three weeks at this point, And I learned, hey, chest pain, difficulty breathing. I'm like, take care of me. Mm -hmm. Get me a bed, you know, because I know they're going to give me emergency treatment right away. And I didn't even care. Like I'd look in the waiting room like, you know, some poor old grandma in there probably actually needs to be tended to. And I'm like me first lady. You don't know. You don't know what I'm going through. Yeah. And I knew I could ask for the Dilaudid. Because that would, like, mellow me out. And I would normally get, like, a couple hours of sleep on the ER bed. And they'd be like, okay, you got to go. And after, like, you know, they start seeing you. And, like, the first couple of times they were, like, really concerned for me. And I felt good because I'm like, ah, like, attention. You know, treatment, love, validation. And then I started to get, like, that frequent flyer look where they're like, 
get this bitch out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were so sick of me. Right. And um, they start treating you like shit. So now I got to mix up, you know, the same way I mix up liquor stores and where I go, I got to start mixing up my hospitals now because that way I can get better treatment and I don't get this shitty treatment from the same one. So mm. I'd been drinking around the clock like that. And um, physically, my health was really taking a toll. I was really packing on weight. Um, I was getting really heavy and I was just miserable, you know, like I just hated myself and I didn't want to live like that. Like I just wake up every morning and my life revolved around drinking and I had no goals. I was really struggling with depression, you know, battling, being suicidal. I'm miserable in my relationship. I've pushed all my friends and family aside. I'm stuck out in Colorado. I don't even want to be with this guy anymore, but I have nowhere to go. I have nowhere to go. And as um, a woman, I think we deal with that a lot where we feel like we're trapped in relationships because like financially I didn't have a choice. Like I have a picture that I save as a reminder because it was a Christmas. It was, um, I think it was 2019 or it was 2018 during Christmas. And I had been rolling change to afford to go get food. And like my hands, like if you've ever rolled change for a long time, like your hands are so fucking filthy after. And I just hated that. I like, you know, you just sit with like that disgust of myself of like, I can't believe I have to fucking roll orders to go buy food for the week you know like what am I going to do next week and I hated that feeling and I knew like I couldn't go anywhere else so like I didn't have a friend's house and I'm sure there's people listening that would be like you could have called me but you don't feel like that at the time you really don't feel like there's anywhere else you can go especially since I wasn't willing to get help or do anything different so that put me in a place where um, my dad started to take a turn with his cancer and come to find out and metastasized to brain cancer and I had been wanting to go see him. I go visit him, and we went and partied at someone's house before because, of course, like, I'm on a paid flight. You know, my mom's buying, my mommy's buying my flight to go visit my dad so I can go see my sick dad, but we're going to party it up before, and I'm coming down so hard the next day. I have to pull over on the side of the road to get to where I'm going because I'm nodding in and out behind the wheel, and I'm like, I'm going to crash this car, and I'm like, I've got to take a nap for, like, at least an hour before I get there. Meanwhile, my dad has, like, days left to live. And I'm taking a nap on the side of the road, taking my sweet time to get there. And I get to my dad's bed. And if you've ever lost anyone to cancer, like, you know, it just like eats that person alive. I mean, they're just like skin and bones. And it was really difficult to see. And all I could think about was, does he have any liquor in the house? Mm. Because I was coming down so hard. And I hated myself for that. And like, I was crawling out of my skin because I'm like, I can't even sit here and like I had a great relationship with my dad you know like I love my dad he was such a good father to me and yet I'm laying here and all I'm thinking about is like would anyone notice if I went to the liquor store right now like is there any liquor in the cabinet that I could get like that's all I cared about like and that was the last time I saw my dad physically and I spent probably 90% of that day stressing about trying to get a drink and I couldn't fucking wait to get out of that house so I could go to the liquor store And so when I got back to Colorado, I started noticing, um, I think I've got a, I think I've got like a serious problem. And so I went and I told my younger brother, I went out with him and I'm like, I'm gonna have one last night partying with my brother because my brother and I would party pretty heavy together too. And I told him, I said, I think I'm going to check myself in somewhere tomorrow. And 
I didn't even know like what that meant. Like I'd never been to rehab. I'd never tried to really get sober. I had tried to quit drinking before and I'd tell people like I'd be like five days no drinking. I'm sober, guys. I'm sober. Put it on my Instagram bio. Yeah. Uh, the yes. worst, you know. Yes. <laughs> Gotta take it down, you know. So What like, happened to that? So embarrassed. Oh no, it's just it was just a quick thing. You know what I mean? Like I tried, like there was part of me that like didn't want to keep doing what I was doing, but I didn't know how to stop. And so I finally it's like the middle of the night. And it is really hard to get sober that I found out. And I'm calling rehabs. Well, I don't have insurance. I don't have money for rehab. No one in my family is going to pay for me to go to rehab. Well, then I find there's like a detox facility in Denver. And it's like downtown Denver. And it's like where they take you to detox before they book you. And it was like out of like it looked like it was out of like um, like an I Am Legend movie. Like, when I pulled up on the building, like, it's all, like, grown over with, like, weeds. And I'm kind of like, is this even, like, the right place mm. to be? And I check myself in. And I'm thinking, like, you just, like, check yourself in and I'll just leave when I want kind of thing. And so um, I had no idea what I was walking into when I got into this place. And so I get checked in. And it's about 24 hours later. I'm miserable. You know, I'm, I'm in a bed sharing a room with a bunch of women who are coming down off of everything you know, you got people screaming out the window. I'm trying to get sleep. You know, they fucking open the blinds and the lights every two hours to take your vitals. And you're like, you can't even try to get some sleep. And I'm shaking. And they're finally like, well, take you to the emergency room so you can get some meds and kind of like calm down. And I remember feeling so embarrassed because they take your shoes, right? And so it's like, man, I had to go walk through the parking lot in socks, get in the druggy buggy, head down to the hospital. And they just the look those nurses gave me knowing where I was coming from, like they just treated me like trash. Damn. And that sucked. Like that was really humbling for me of like, I think I got a serious problem. And so I didn't tell anyone I went there. So then I start making my phone calls. I call my mom, call my boyfriend, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm really struggling. I checked myself in somewhere. And they're like, we just want you to get help. We just want you to get better. And while I was in there, I get the call that my dad passed away. And so there's part of me that likes to believe maybe my dad was hanging on you know, until I got help, until I did something different, even though I never told my dad about the way I struggled with drinking. But there's kind of part of me that wants to believe, for whatever reason, he knew, you know, as a parent, that he was waiting for me to kind of get clean and sober. And so I get myself checked out of there, and I do good for a little bit, but I, d I get nothing into a program. While I was in the facility, you know, they come around, hey, everyone's got to come attend AA. Well, I'm like, I don't need that. I'm not an alcoholic. I just got to detox for a little while, guys. Mm. Like, I don't really need help. And so I avoided AA. I avoided 12-step programs. I really didn't think I needed anything of it. And I made it about 62 days. And I had started planning my drink because I'm like, oh, I'm like 50 days sober. I'm like, dude, I have control now. Mm -hmm. I can control my drinking. If I can go this many days, obviously, I did this on my own accord. I don't need help. I can totally handle a few drinks now. And so my birthday was coming up. And I was like, I'm going to celebrate with a glass of wine. And I started telling people. I call my mom. Like, mom, <coughs> great news. <laughs> <laughs> this just start, in. I'm going to start drinking again. And everyone's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, no. I'm, and I, you know how it is. Like, you believe your own shit. And I'm going to convince everyone around me. I can totally control my drinking. So I'm going to go. And I had friends that took me out to a really nice dinner out in Scottsdale. By this point, I had moved from Denver. When my dad passed, you know, I came into a little bit of money and I was able to get my own place in Arizona away from my ex. And um, but then, of course, I'm like, oh, I don't have to work now. I have money and we're good. We're good, man. Yeah. I can live off this forever. Cruise control. Yeah. Cruise control. Red wine. 
Steak yeah. dinners. Oh, it was great. Here we go. <laughs> we're going to Mastro's. You we're know, in, so uh, we're in Scottsdale now. Scottsdale, cool. living out. a whole new outfit for the night. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm still a train wreck. Like my mentality mm. is still a train wreck. I'm white knuckling it the whole time. I'm still thinking about drinking this entire time. I'm sober, and we get out to the restaurant, and I really believed I'm just gonna have one, maybe two <laughs> glasses of wine. I'm gonna be classy. Mm. Like I'm gonna be like I'm in my beautiful little dress. I'm in a nice restaurant. And within, I think, four hours, I'd been kicked out and dragged out of another very high-end bar in downtown Scottsdale with my friend. And we had been, you know, slamming a bag up our nose for hours at this point. Police get called. She's got to go to the hospital. We've got injuries. She's pissing my bed. Um, <laughs> it, it was the worst birthday of my life. <laughs> and it just turned into, like, of course, I'm slamming shots. Like, it was never going to be one drink. No. And from that time, that was November of 2019 until April of 2020, where I tried to drink myself to death. Mm. And that was your 22nd birthday? It was 26, I think. 26th okay. birthday. Maybe 25. Our disease is one powerful <laughs> motherfucker, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it is. People take that for granted. You know what I mean? You take We take our disease so lightly. Like, we, we're in control. We're in control. We got this. And every single time that motherfucker wins. Every single time. Every time. One of my favorite um, passages from the big book is when it talks about it kind of displays or explains your life as like a play. And we have that director chair, right, that we so much want to sit in. But, um, you know, we're supposed to leave that space for God or our higher power to sit in. And yet when I sit in that chair, I am a creator of chaos and confusion every single time. And I like see that through and through, even in sobriety. Now it's like when I try to be like, I'm going to do this. It's my life. I'm going to do whatever I want. I just, I'm going to fuck it up every single time. And so I have to really, like, take a step back, leave room for my higher power to come in and kind of run the show again. But it's true. Like, the disease just, you think you have it, and it convinces you. And it, like, made me withdraw from everyone. And it made me think no one else thinks how I think. No one will ever understand what I'm going through. So, like, you have to be secretive about it. You can't tell people about this problem because everyone will outcast you and no one will love you. But I think that's just another part of the disease that people don't realize takes over them. Mm -hmm. Isolation to all that mm -hmm. shit. Blocking people out, like you're saying. <coughs> you're on your own. You're on your own little island. Nobody nobody knows. Nobody cares. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just, just me and you. Yeah. Yeah. We're in it together. <laughs> I have never. I got your back. <laughs> I have never had my own best interest at heart. Mm. I have no. never cared about myself. Bro, I, I, I mean, convince myself I do. I, yeah. I mean, I'm eight years clean, and there's sometimes I'm like, no, no, no. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, I know that's not the right decision. You know <laughs> what I mean? Still, you know what I mean? It's like that old push-up thing, and it's true, man. Disease doing push-ups? Fuck, man. Oh, yeah, hard. waiting in the corner. Just yeah. waiting Fucking for a motherfucker waiting. to think yeah. something crazy. Yeah. yeah, I believe that, and I've learned that, you know, in my sobriety, too, where um, I did quit drinking, and then eventually I convinced myself I can smoke weed. You know, and that was just another way that disease pops yes. up, and I didn't believe it. And so I drank so heavily from 2019 to April of 2020 during the pandemic, and um, I was trying to kill myself at this point. I was so miserable. I was so suicidal. I had a history of self-harming, too, and so, like, I like to drink to numb out, but then I'd get so numb that I'd be like, I can't feel anything, so let me just drag a razor across my arm real quick, see if I can feel something again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm fucking sick. Yeah. I have a, like, I yeah. have a disease. I have a mental problem. And so... I was, like, in the kitchen, I think, on, like, February 13th, last time I self-harmed, and I was, like, really digging at myself, thinking, like, this is my solution, and, you know, getting to that point where it's, like, the isolation makes you feel so alone, and I'm in this apartment by myself, 
pushed everyone out. I'm drinking around the clock. There's no one there to monitor, and I've got plenty of money in my bank account that I can just go run to the liquor store, run to the liquor store, run to the liquor store. So I was drinking around the clock, and I, I would try to stop, and I, and I couldn't. And I would, at this point, there had been times in the past where I could go, like, I'm going to stop drinking for, like, maybe a week or two, and I could make it maybe that half week and be okay. And at this point, I'm going, like, okay, I'm not going to drink till the weekend. And by 2 p.m., I'm like, I can't fucking take it. I can't take it. I have to go get a drink because I feel so miserable without it. And every time I drink, I'd be like, that ease and comfort sets in. <sighs> yeah, just like. Okay. <sighs> all right. yeah, I, I made it. We're I'm, back. And I'm going to only have a little bit, but, you know, <coughs> like, if you looked in my apartment, I lived so disgusting at that time. And I was so embarrassed of how much, like, wine. I had a lot of, like, vodka was my main thing, but I went through a ton of wine and white claws during that period. <laughs> And I would have the wine bottles piled up in the corner of my kitchen because my trash would make so much noise taking it out. And I didn't want my neighbors to hear all <laughs> this like clink, 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 yeah. all the glass clinking, you know. And so it's like I'm I'm going to I'm going to section out when I take my trash so I can get rid of this. It's just piling up, just fucking piling up the white claw. I had a kitchen table or a living room table like half the size of this. And it was just white claw cans everywhere damn dog i couldn't get rid of them in like a timely fashion if someone would come over i'd be like panic panic trying to clean everything's in your closet (laughs) (laughs) other bath don't go in that bathroom don't do that because you know what neighbors watch your trash like i've never looked at what my neighbors throw away but i'm thinking everyone's watching what i'm doing i mean should have came up with some crumb i'm i'm doing art i don't know (laughs) It's crafts. I don't know. What's that clinking noise? What's well, my tools? I don't. My, yeah. I don't want to say you missed out, but you passed up the white claw era. I got to experience that at the end of my last relapse. Them things dangerous. Oh, I missed out. You didn't know. That's why I said you didn't miss out. <laughs> yeah. But you. But it was you an era. Yeah, you well, weren't I mean, around I, for it. Yeah, but I they're dangerous. Zimas. It's like the same. They weren't shit. like Zimas. You the, sure, dude. It's like Perrier. They get you drunk. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and. But it's oh, not is that good. the shit that, that the, you don't smell the alcohol too, right? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. What that's what pork dizzle yeah, says. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that, was, that was great. I don't know. You drink 10 of them, everything smells like alcohol. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And they're dangerous. So those were rough. Those were rough. And then I get to a point where um, now I've burned through all the cash. Oh, no. And I did pick up a bar job, of course. And I only worked there for about three weeks before they let me go because of the pandemic and all the shutdown. So now it's like... Plus, I have all this fear. Like, my, I was living out in Phoenix where, like, it was very, everyone was like, pandemic's not real. You know, yeah. fuck masks and all that out there versus my brother was living in L.A. And he's feeding me everything that's going on in L.A. And so I'm the crazy person who's, like, talking to people in the grocery stores. Like, you guys don't get it, man. This shit's going to get rough. And you got to start stocking up now. <laughs> and I'm in gloves and a mask. The only person in the whole state of Arizona that God looks like this. Because I'm like, and I'm fucked up while I'm saying it. Like, uh, oh, <laughs> nothing like, worse than a drunk girl <laughs> on a conspiracy theory. They're like, call, we need to get this girl some help. Listen uh, here, Lib. Yeah, yeah, she's going <laughs> head back to California with that bullshit. Oh, it was, it was so, I feel so bad for anyone who was like patient with me, like listening <laughs> to my shit. <laughs> God bless him. Uh, God bless. Because I wasn't, like, cute at the time either. I was, like, 215. And I'm, like, no makeup, hairs in a fucking rat's nest bun up on the side of my head. So I'm not, like, people aren't, like, humoring me because I'm, like, attractive at the time. Like, right. they were really listening to me because they thought something was wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I hey, These people are like, she's the goddamn problem. Why this is the blue state now? God. Get her out of here! God damn it! God damn it! Yeah, God damn it! So I take... 
the last like $300 that I have to my name. Mm. And I go to the grocery store and I'm so drunk. I come out of the blackout while I'm checking out at the stand and I'm crying because I believed that the shutdown was going to get so bad. And I was in fear. Like a lot of people really lived in fear and I was one of them. Like I was terrified. And I was like, this is the last food I'm ever going to buy. And I believed (laughs) I was stocking up for the end of the world. And, you know, I had a good amount. And I'm looking at, like, okay, I've got enough liquor to get me through this. I've got food, a lot of freezer meals, things like that. And I'm like, this is it. And that's what I'm telling the cash register. I'm sobbing at the cash register. Everyone else is totally normal. And I'm like, you guys don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, Brie. So... Well, hold on. The media did that, though. Yeah. To a lot yeah. of people. You know, yeah. there's yeah. a lot of people like you that still the meat still. Yeah. I mean, when I still see people in masks and gloves, I'm like, really? No, for sure. Like, really? Yeah. In the fucking car, too? Really? Yeah. It's I don't always a car. fucking Prius, but whatever. Anyways. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> saying there's a trend, yeah. but. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's like, you know, standard issue Prius drivers. You know what I mean? A ma- It comes with, it comes hey, with buy it. this car. You're going to get a mask and gloves. Oh, cool. Perfect. Sign me up. Real quick. <laughs> There's this is going to be an ongoing thing because Dustin is a conspiracy theorist himself and he was proved right recently. I don't know if you know this, but there's aliens. Thank you. I've been so now I've been every little thing it. that he's been thinking about, he's like, that's true too. Fuck them. Yeah, like it's all I, true. I sent him the whole fucking TikTok and I noticed that you never you didn't even say you know what you're right. You didn't even say <laughs> nothing to it when I sent it to you. I I believe the aliens exist. Nah, and I, you guys goofed on me pretty fucking hard, jo- right, Josh? <laughs> what you right? Pretty hard. We the, had a Papa Juan over here and he's like, oh, Mr. Pilot. He's like, oh, I don't know. You're a fucking an idiot, basically. <laughs> really? I didn't say that. You know the <laughs> meme where he's like, aliens. Yeah. That's Dustin. I yeah. believed him. One hundred percent. I knew oh, it. Give me a break. You want to start this again? Let's go. I Check. saw one once. Thank you. Not That's a real alien, but a right. spaceship. Listen here. Listen here, drunk girl. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Hey, hold on. Wait a minute. I like this. Go Yuma, ahead. Arizona. Proceed. Yuma, Arizona. Oh, yeah, there's okay. aliens there for sure. And we are tweaked out. So we're at a wedding. And for whatever reason, we pick up. I don't even know. Like, as I come to, like, recall this memory, I don't know where we picked this guy up. But he had so much fucking blow on him. We let him stay in our hotel room with us. Total strange man. And so it's like 6 a.m. and like we're tweaking and we're looking out into the distance and swear to God, there's this little black hovering thing forever. I recorded it. I could probably find the video if I really dug through my phone, but I believed it was mm. a spaceship. So whether it was the drugs or real, but it's you confirmed. you got to find that video. I'll have to find it somewhere. Look, aliens I exist. swear to God, I was Send like, we us. watched it forever. Yeah. And He's then it just like, just gone. Like, well, see, it just feels it's it's still there. I just have more, more <laughs> questions now when I, when I hear shit like that, though. Yeah. It's like. Man, how come they haven't came back for these guys? You know what I mean? You know, I don't know. You it, know, th- if anything happens in the United States, we're like, you know, f- prisoners of war. Like, we're going out. I mean, I know that they're still prisoners. However, we try to get our people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. aliens are just like, well, fuck it. You fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> you crashed, motherfucker. You belong to them. You fucking own now. Yeah. And your your conspiracies aren't so far-fetched. You don't believe in some of the deep, deep ones. No, definitely not. But I've always, I mean, come on. There has to be something. I mean, has how many universes be. are there? Yeah. A billion. Yeah. You know what I mean? All like, the galaxies? It's like, it's like, fucking come on. insane. Give With a, a B. How yeah. full of ourselves right. can we be to think we're the only ones? That's, yeah. That is where my higher power comes from. Is like, I'm, I don't follow the mainstream religions. It's just how self-centered of me to think that I am all there is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no, And no. thank God, because... <laughs> What a fucking miserable existence that would be. Just me. That's it. This is it. <laughs> like, there's got to be. I'm really hoping there's something bigger than me. Yeah. So. You're in the same boat, right? Totally. Yeah. 100%.
that was another thing that we, we can go down the, the religion rabbit hole with Dustin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with his uh, Guadalupe on his arm. Yeah. <laughs> and a cross. <laughs> hey. You know, de- demons and God, you know what I mean? It's, it's all the same shit. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is, like, they're saying that they actually fucking have aliens now. Yeah. They're saying that we have them. I mean, it makes perfect sense, though. Here it is in the 50s, and next thing you know, we're coming out with all this shit. Microwaves, fucking chips, all this other Fucking Microwaves come from sonar. Whatever. They came from the goddamn ships, though. Do you, yeah. That's what they're yeah. saying. No, they came from Navy ships. No, they didn't. <laughs> they came from space. The fucking alien ships, bro. It's a it's a age-old story of spinoff. So there's a sonar machine. Navy guy leaves his lunch next to it. The sonar machine's working, and he comes back, and his lunch is hot. That's how microwaves come about. Yeah, well, that's not what I heard. <laughs> that's my <laughs> takeaway. Yeah. Listen, I listened to fucking Alex on InfoWars, and that's not what he that's said. That's what he <laughs> says, pal. Loyal to the foil, brother. Yeah. So, fucking April 2020. Times are crazy. Times I was, are crazy. I was thinking about that because the, the show I did last night, they were talking about doing shows during the pandemic. And I'm like, fuck, yeah, that did happen, didn't it? People were fucking crazy and losing their fucking minds. Losing their minds, We had sure. just started LFG. Really? Yeah. I got fucking I got fired from here. And uh, we started LFG. They were like, it was a great time. Yeah. A lot we, of good we stuff came fun. out of the pandemic, yeah, though. You no, know, yeah. like so much good really did come out of it. I it think, did. yeah, you know, because really I don't did. think I would have, I wouldn't have gotten sober the way I did. You know, I think that was probably what played a big part in it. So what? When is your clean date? Sorry. So my know. clean date is actually June 29th, ninth, twenty twenty one, and so at the time during April twenty twenty, I um, got to the point where I had no money. So I'm. That was right when OnlyFans started popping off, and so I'm like, I'm not gonna make OnlyFans, but I bet I can hit up a few guys. That would probably send me some money if I sold naked pictures kind of thing. And that's not really part of my story I ever really tell. So that's kind of like a big part of the story, though, where I, where I do speak to it, like where I do want to speak to like women's mental health on that. Is that like it fucked me up in the head so much, though, doing that. And it's not something I can say, oh, yeah, like I regret because like I don't want to regret anything I did because it made me who I am and it gave me the life experiences that I have. But it really fucked me up doing that. And I get to a point where. I decide to um, meet one of these guys, and I'm like, I'm going to try to get some money out of them. And ugly story in short, um, I got really physically hurt, and I kind of, like, disappeared for about two or three days, and I was drugged and so fucked up, and no one can find me. My family can't find me. They don't know what's going on. It's about 3 a.m., and I don't remember any of this. This is told back to me. It's, like, 3 a.m., and my brother, who's living out in Hollywood, gets a call from a Circle K gas station. He's like, I better take this phone call because I don't know why Circle K gas is calling me. And it's me. And he's like, he goes, I always know something's wrong with you when you sound, like, okay, when you're trying to convince me you're okay. And apparently I told him, like, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where my phone was. I didn't know where my keys were. Um, And he's trying to help me, like, find my iPhone, like, through the find my phone shit. And... You know, we can't find it. We can't figure out. And I'm just like, okay, like, no worries. Talk to you later. And he's like, um, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. he's like, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I don't, and I didn't know. I don't, I don't remember any of this. And didn't know how I ended up there. Um, I was kind of beat up. And I figure out, I don't know how, but I managed to get home. And I'm like passed out on my living room floor. And I get a knock the next day and it's the police. And my family did a wellness check on me because they're like, you never fuck, you can't just call us from a gas station in the middle of the night and then never check back in. So it'd been like 24 hours or something like that. And I kind of start like piecing together like what had happened. And so my brother's like, I'm going to come out and get you. My brother drives all the way out from Hollywood, comes up, picks me up, takes me back to the hospital. 
because I'm having like insane like heart palpitations. I can't breathe. Like my fucking skin's turning yellow. And takes me, checks me in, and then he goes, "I think you need to go back to mom's house. Like you need to get some help." He's like, "I don't think you're safe here." Like, let's go to mom's. And I'm like, okay. So he's like, you got to drive behind me because, like, I'm not going to drop you off and you not have a car. So, like, you take your car and um, I'll take my car. You follow me out there. And this is when um, I started to experience the delirium tremens, which scared the shit out of me because it's the middle of the night and I'm driving through the desert. And the first thing I start to hallucinate is because now I've, I have, like, no alcohol in my system for, like, 18 hours at this point And I'm fucking tripping. And I'm looking through my windshield, and there's these, like, shadow hands. And I just, this is a part of the story I always hesitate to tell other people because they just think I've, like, made it up or I'm crazy. But I know I can tell addicts because if you've gone through the hallucinations, like, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And there's these shadow hands, like, reaching at me through the dash. And I'm, like, driving, doing, like, 90 miles an hour through the desert. And I'm, like, tripping out on these hands. And I start looking around, and it's, like, I can just see, like, all these shadows of people out in the desert. And then this like man thing takes over in my passenger seat of my car. And I can't explain it. I just knew that um, I was dying and I was like, this is who's going to take me to hell right now. And I've never prayed so hard in my life, even at a time where I didn't believe in God. I didn't, I didn't even know what I believed in, but I was like, save me from whatever this is, this is next to me here. And what I prayed for was because my brother was driving in front of me. We'd gone through so much, and I just kept thinking, like, don't let me die in the car right now while I'm driving because I don't want my brother to have to clean my body up off the side of the road. And I just kept praying, like, let me get to the hospital. And, like, I didn't care. I just prayed, like, let me die in the hospital. Like, please don't let me die out in the middle of the desert and do this to my brother. And I'm sobbing, and I start dealing with – the blood vessels like bursting in my chest like and then half my uh, half my face started to freeze and so I call my brother and I'm like we got to get to the hospital like something's really wrong he's like we just got you out of the hospital and I'm like I need to get to the hospital again so we get back to now we're at San Gregorio Pass Hospital in Banning and I get checked in there and that I mean the COVID thing was so rough you know everyone's got the hazmat suits on and so like they really don't even want you there and I'm like you guys don't understand and I remember knowing the hallucinations were so bad because they have like that divider curtain and it was like there was like a TV show projected on it and I was like, wow, the hospital really stepped it up with like their entertainment. Like they've got like projection TV now on this and so I'm just that crazy lady like tripping out on the walls and I'm and I'm miserable and I finally text my mom and I said, mom, um, I need help quit to quit drinking. I think I've got a serious problem and so from there I went back to my mom's house. They let me go. And um, I detoxed for five days with no medical help at my mom's house. And it was the worst five days of my life. Mm. And I had auditory hallucinations. I had um, visual hallucinations. I could feel hands um, coming down my body. Like, it physically felt like someone was trying to drag me to hell. And I really believed, like, at that time, my soul was being, like, fought over. And I know that's, like, a really common experience of people who go through those delirium tremens. And that's normally what kills you when you're trying to detox off alcohol is during that time. And so my mom had to monitor my breathing um, every single night because I was at risk to just, like, stop breathing. And it was horrendous. And, like, all those images are, like, so baked in my brain. And I'll never forget what that felt like to get off alcohol because it was a nightmare. Mm. Brutal. It is fucking raw. I, I've experienced it one time, and it was when I – got taken to the brig off a fucking sick bender and they 
sent, take me to the brig and I'm in this holding tank for like days. And I, it's all my NCOs, I could hear them talking about me outside of it. And I'm like banging on the walls like, stop, that's not true. That's not true. It was fucking gnarly. It's fucking gnarly. Yeah, I had that. Ex- I had a whole experience of the first morning I got there. I heard my mom and brother screaming over me and like my brother crying, like how much he hates me and like how much I ruined this family and everything. And I kick in the door while they're sleeping. And I'm like, you motherfuckers are pretending to sleep. Like, say it to my fucking face. (laughs) (laughs) All of a sudden. I'm I'm taking my keys and I'm leaving. And they're like, that never happened. Right. That never happened. Gosh. Gnarly. So it's like, you can't even trust anything when you get sober for a little while. Like, you just, you can't trust. I couldn't trust anything. I couldn't tell what I was hallucinating, what was real, what conversations did and didn't happen. So it was a nightmare. Did you ever get that from meth? God damn. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I saw tons of shadow people. Yeah. And (coughs) it's funny. I got the goosebumps when you were saying that because it's like. It could have been something, whatever was in your passenger seat, but that could have been somebody that, like a, whatever, being angel, whatever you want to call it, that was like helping you get you through that shit too. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, have I no got idea. goosebumps when you said it because it's like, man, I fucking have felt that so often. Like I, even like some, like we've had some people on the show where it's like people like there's been something like grabbed them and pulled them, you know. And I've never really had that experience, but I've definitely felt some fucking way out shit that I've never felt before, you know. So I can totally relate. I've, I've totally seen people. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd, be, be, I'd be talking to people, too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All, all up yeah. and down the hospital aisles and right. stuff. And I just, for me, I, f- I kind of feel like, you know, like they say there's like a veil that we have. And I feel like that v- when you're about to die, like that veil gets really thin. Mm-hmm. And that's what it felt like to me where I was like, I'm about to die. And I'm not going where I kind of thought I was going to go because I'm kind of a fuck up. The so story is not ending how I'd hoped. not yeah. what I thought. Um, right. So it was terrifying. And so from there, like there was no... AA meetings anywhere, and I'm, when I'm calling around for, like, detox centers and stuff or rehabs, they're like, well, you already detox, so what do you need rehab for? And I'm like, I just need some help. And I called hundreds of places trying to, like, what do I do? And they're like, well, there's Zoom meetings, and that's all there was mm. during that time. And I was like, again, I was so resistant to going to a program because I still didn't believe, even though all that stuff, I still didn't think I needed, like, help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Help. Mm-hmm. That's wild. That's wild that you got. I mean, we... I've said that on the show numerous times. Like I applaud people for getting clean and sober during that time because I'd done the zoom meetings. It's not the same. No, you know what I mean? It's definitely not the same as you go into a meeting and you fellowship afterwards. And so to get clean and sober during that time is fucking remarkable. It really is. I I don't, I I don't know if I can do it. Honestly, I don't know if I could have done it. I mean, I know I'm clean now. You know what I mean? That's why it's funny. It's fucked up too. Cause those things will get worse if you relapse. Like, all oh of those yeah. things that you talked about, because I'm living proof, like, I've been in and out of the rooms, and the every single, especially when I start using heroin and meth and all that, it always gets worse in alcohol, too. You know, I substitute that. I used to, like, talk a lot of shit, like, in the beginning of the show, I was, like, minimizing alcohol, coke, weed, and all that, but there was, a, I was on Suboxone and meth on the last run that I had, and the alcohol really fucking fucked me up to where I was, like, shaking and mm-hmm. having all those things, so... Alcohol is so powerful, dude. It's like poison. It's literally, people are drinking poison. At the end of the day, it should have a fucking label on it that says you're drinking poison. Yeah. Might as well drink radiator fluid. I mean, damn, they're the same shit. Yeah. But um, to get clean during that time, and that's all you have. But it just goes to show you that there has to be more available for people. There should be. You can't just go off insurance. Like, there has to be something more available for a detox or, you know, a sober living house, like something. 
You know, I mean, that's why, I mean, and I know in San Diego, there's quite a few county funded places. I mean, that's, that was my last resort. Like I've done the 30 day stay and pat on the ass and mm-hmm. this is great, you know? And I mean, it took a fucking place to where I was locked down, you know what I mean? I, I couldn't go anywhere unless I wanted to go back to jail. <coughs> I didn't want to do that either. <laughs> yeah. It, w- it made me realize like it was so much more difficult to get sober than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. So again, I just feel for people that want help, but don't have the resources mm-hmm. to do it. Cause like not, and I'm kind of glad though, that I struggled the way that I did, because I think if, you know, someone would have put me up in some fancy ass rehab, I don't think it would have stuck the same way with me because now I've like being at the detox center and like having to detox by myself at home without the medical help or anything, like just trying to figure it all out. Um, it was scarier that way. And so it's a little bit more of like a healthier fear to kind of keep me from mm-hmm. wanting to experience that again. I agree. Totally. I think everybody should have to go through that. Like the MAT detoxes and all that, like you, you got to feel it. If you don't have something that's fucking scarred into your brain of how fucking miserable it was, you have nothing to keep you accountable. Yeah. That's just my personal opinion. And it's not true for everybody. There's plenty of people who take Suboxone or Librium and do medically assisted fucking detoxes and go on to have great recovery. But in my personal experience, suffering is the greatest teacher. For sure. You know? Well, time will tell, too, with those sort of addicts. So, I mean, and maybe, and maybe that's what you see a lot. You see, we see people with, you know, you know, a lot of clean time that go back out. And it's like, well, obviously they're bought either they forgot about the bottom or they never really had a bottom and they shared that they did. You know, that's that, that's at least my feeling, because, I mean, there's still times where I would remember like driving drunk on the opposite side of the freeway. Like, what the fuck? I could have killed somebody. Mm-hmm. That shit scares the fuck out of me today. Still, you know what I mean? Like there's I will never forget that. You know what I mean? Like you said it, too. Like, I don't even know how I got home. I know that I drove on the opposite side of the, for a whole exit in fucking uh, Temecula. Well, I was up in fucking uh, Elsinore. But I know I drove on the opposite side of the fucking 15. Damn. I, I know I know for Oopsies. a fact. Because when I came to, I said, well, how the fuck am I over here? I got to go that way. That's the fastest on that stretch, the Elsinore 15 stretch. I drove a Nissan GTR 180 miles an hour That's on that right. stretch. Get some. Sick. Yeah. You could have. Fucking, that would have been it. That would have been it for you, dog. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Oh my god, that yeah. that whole stretch you, is like drag racing. You got there has to be some fear, and everybody's story is not new, unique because we all it's it's very similar, but it just depends. Everybody's bottom is a little bit different than what you do. I mean, we hear it a lot with women. I mean, they're some of the women that I know. Their bottoms are fucking insane, you know, of molest, rape fucking being sold all these things you know what i mean i mean being raped is the fucking worst thing that you can do to anybody you know and we 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 hear these stories all the time so i mean that if that won't keep somebody clean i don't know what the fuck will you know i don't ever want to live like that you know or be subject to fucking anything that's fucking remotely fucked up now yeah so it's june 2021 2020, yeah. Oh, no, so, so you this, this isn't... This is, yeah, so I hadn't quite... We still had some lessons to learn. We still had some <laughs> lessons to learn because, um, you know, I kept hanging around people that were still, like, partying, and within a couple of months, I was like, oh, marijuana maintenance. Like, <laughs> that makes sense, right? Something else I can totally control. And to make that a long story short, it was the same thing with drinking, where it was like, oh, I'm only going to get... St-. And I've been smoking weed my whole life, like... It wasn't that big a deal. It didn't trip me out. I'm like, well, I'm not I'm not getting fucked up. I'm not drinking, so that's like really important. I'm not doing the harder stuff. So, 
I'm just going to get stoned here and there on the weekends. And then it turned into, well, um, I'm not going to smoke before 5 p.m. But, you know, I'm always smoking on my way to work now. And, oh, I'm not going to smoke on this day. And I'm smoking seven days a week now. And I'm getting so lit. You know, I'm barely struggling to have, like, conversations with customers at the store that I'm at. Like, this poor, I was so baked one time on these edibles. And this customer comes in and they're like, oh, hey, we need these pair of boots. And my eyes, I could never get my eyes clear. They're always red. <laughs> so I look, I just looked wrecked when I was high. And they're like, oh, we want to check out these pair of boots in whatever size. And I'm like, okay. So I run upstairs. Well, I forget. And I'm like, oh, fuck. All right, let me run back down and I'll ask him again. And so I'm like out of breath because it's like stairs and like, you know, your lungs are all messed up. I come back downstairs. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, guys. Like what, what? what pair were you looking for? And they're like, oh, this pair. And I go back up. And I, anyways, I forget again. So I'm like, let me just grab two random pairs of boots. And they look at me by the time I come down and they're like, that's not what we asked for. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm way too stoned this for this not right chill. now. <laughs> <laughs> this is not chill. You guys chill. are really fucking up my high. Get the fuck out of <laughs> yeah. here. Listen, so, we don't got them. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> Actually, you know. Sold out. No, oh, sold out, yeah. And so I felt bad. Yeah. And I'm just like, please don't call my boss. Like, please don't write <laughs> yeah, a review yeah. about me uh, or something because I'm yeah. like, I'm really stoned right now. And <laughs> so, and I, and you'd think like, I know a lot of people say, oh, well, I get high for my anxiety or whatever. Man, it made me so much more anxious every mm. single time. And it would make me like so paranoid and, oh, try a different strain or whatever. Wow. Like I smoked all kinds of weed. I've tried <laughs> all of it all and of it. it never failed. I just was never happy with like how I felt. There may be like one out of every like 20, 30 times where I actually like enjoyed the high. But for the most part, again, I was doing something that I really didn't want to be doing and I couldn't stop. And I had been um, diagnosed with depression and anxiety, and so I'd been medicated for it. And I was prescribed Ativan at the time to help with anxiety, like, as needed, which I don't know when I've ever taken anything as prescribed. But eventually, about a year later, um, I'm popping these Ativan all the time, and I'm getting tattooed a little bit more, and I start getting back into Percocets because I'm like, oh, the Percocets help with the tattoo pain, and so I'm popping Percs. I'm taking these Ativans, and I go on this trip with my family, and we get back from the trip and I'd been blacked out for like two days on the Ativan. And my brother says something to me that he used to say when I was drinking. And he was like, do you even remember what you said to me last night? And that like, just felt like such a punch in the gut where I was like, holy shit, I am right back where I was. Mm. Like, this is no different than the drinking for me. I clearly have a problem I need to address. And so I had to crawl my ass back into a meeting take another newcomer chip which I kicked and fought my way for I was like no I'm still sober guys like I was I really believed I was sober because I wasn't drinking even though I was doing all these other things and that's the disease mm -hmm. you know it convinces you otherwise and so that was June 29th of 2021 and then I've been completely clean and sober since then fucking a Damn. And I, I have like diligently worked my 12 steps I work with a sponsor I go to regular meetings I take commitments um, I do my best to help other women too. And I do my best to stay in the work because the more, like I've said earlier, like when I tried to play that director role in my life, um, I fuck it up every single time. I mess it up every single time. And so really like anytime, and I do have people reach out to me too. If people who, most people would probably never think what would re that would reach out to me, but because I'm vocal of my sobriety and that's why I choose to be vocal about my sobriety is because I think it gives people somewhere a place to turn, just like you guys. I'm sure you guys get all kinds of people that reach out to you that, especially in this industry where people don't think they'd have anywhere else to go or s anyone else that would understand. And so, like, I'm willing to be vulnerable and I'm willing to say things like I've pissed the bed and I've sold, you know, pictures for money because 
I know that that opens the door for other people who probably have that shame and guilt on that to come to me when they're ready to actually do something serious about changing their life. Mm -hmm. (sighs) No, I agree. Damn. That's what I always say. This is a we program. Mm -hmm. It's not me. You know what I mean? I don't give a fuck. I I, want to help somebody else that wants to get clean and sober. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's a rough road, you know, and that's why we're so vocal about it, too, the same way. Very open about it. There's no... No ifs, ands, or buts. Like, we are 100% clean guys, you know? Yeah. It doesn't It doesn't matter. I was going to ask you, though, is your brother, is he, did he have alcoholism, too? Or is it, I mean, because it sounds like you guys partied together, but does does he have, is he clean now? Or I don't think he has, like, the disease part of it. Because we've partied, but my brother's the kind of guy who can sip on one glass of whiskey Maintain. for the night and be fine. And then, so he'll, he's gone sober, like, a little bit here and there. And that's, I love to see it. And then, but he can, like. Take it or leave it. And I don't know how he does it, but he's like my younger brother is like my idol. Like he's just so kick ass, and he's the one who really got me into like photography and pushing myself to like go and do my own thing because he's like a YouTuber and self made and all that. And he's even though he's younger than me, I really look up to him. Oh, good, yeah, that's awesome. Fuck yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Josh manages a sober living, and he's been saying something to me recently that just like it's just mm-hmm. punching me in the side of the head. Is you're not unique, and you're definitely not the exception. Yeah. I fucking love that. Yeah. It's been rattling around. Because you feel like that. You feel like, oh, I can't, like, no one in these meetings knows what it's like, or they didn't drink like I did. And it's like, I love going to meetings because it's now I realize it's the only place in the world where I can walk in and I don't have to say anything because everyone knows my story and there's nowhere else on the planet that is like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love it. I'm n- Yeah. And I'm no, no different than anybody in this room. Mm-hmm. We just two different walks. It's fucking wild. So how did you get in the Harley industry? Is this job that you were looking for the boots? Was this? I was part of it, yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nothing like a hell yeah brother wanting his riding no, boots. Yeah. yeah, they were ready. Goddamn blonde won't get my fucking boots. Yeah. They, were, oh, they, they knew something was up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got started, like, my dad rode Harleys, my grandpa, my uncles. I come from, like, a big riding family. And when my dad died, he left me his bike. And he had a 2012 uh, CVO Street Glide. And so he left me his bike, and at the time, I'm like, I'm not going to, look. one, it's a big bike. Like, I'm not going to ride this bike. I really don't have any intention of getting, like, my motorcycle license. And so one of my stepsisters, my stepsister's husband reached out to me, and he was interested in buying it. And I said, I'll sell it to you if, like, you're open to selling it back to me when the time comes. Like, I don't want it going anywhere else. Like, I know my dad wanted me to have this bike, but it was like, what am I going to do with this bike? (laughs) This bagger. (laughs) This bagger and this trailer that I'm like, I have (laughs) no idea what I'm going to do with. And like two days later, I was 60 days off of alcohol. And I'd been, I'd still been like completely sober at that time. Like two days later, I get a call from someone else at Quaid Harley Davidson. And they were like, Hey, there's a position here. We think you'd be a good fit for. And it kind of just like fell in my lap. And at the time I'm like, I'm really kicking myself in the ass because had I known I would have been as involved in the industry as I am now, I never would have sold that bike. I would have kept it and I would have rode it. Um, but I do know it's like somewhere safe that eventually when the time comes and I want to buy it back, I'll get that bike back. And so that's how I started there. And I started in motor clothes and um, I loved that shop. I love everyone at Quaid. It was a really supportive environment for me getting into. There's several people there that are also in recovery and I was nervous about starting there because I'm like, I feel like part of me is seeking this out because I know it's going to be a party environment and I can still be around it. Um, however, I ended up finding there was a lot of support and a lot of recovery there for me. That's mm. so fucking awesome to hear. Mm. Yeah. Because w- we make subliminal decisions like, oh, Harley Davidson, synonymous with partying. 
yes, I will take a job there. Oh, yeah, that'll be good for me and my yeah. sobriety. That'll be great. Right. And then, it, crazy enough, I'm, do, I told you about this job. I did the show last night. The tour manager for this whole fucking tour has three years. Oh, like, so I'm like, hey, man, um, I know my writer has, like, fucking white claws and all that. I was like, but I don't drink. Can I just get some Red Bull? He's like, you don't drink for... I was like, I'm in recovery. He's like, oh, fuck, me too. And he was he was being a bit abrasive at first because he has to deal with fucking a bunch of dickhead DJs DJing between bands. Mm-hmm. That changed the whole entire thing. And then he, me and him just started chopping it up. It's just crazy, small world, you yeah. know? Yeah, so, it is. Fucking wild. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of recovery in the industry. Yeah. For sure. And it's awesome to be in. And it was... I think that is what really helped me. And again, like, there was still partying around, but, like... Every, like, holiday at that shop, like, everyone gets together and takes, like, a team shot together. And, like, everyone's, like, makes a big deal to make sure I have something that I can, whether it's, like, green tea or an energy drink or whatever it is. But, like, I always felt so included. And I think if I didn't have something like that, it's like that saying, you know, if if you hang out at a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. If I probably didn't have that support there, I probably would have ended up relapsing on alcohol. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're still fresh. Oh, so fresh, yeah. Thinking yeah. and like you think, you know what's going on and like you're um, I'm clear headed now. I, I'm ready to do this, this, and this. And like people don't really realize like it's like well you got to kind of slow down when you first get sober because you're still fucked up in the head. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was definitely very. I, very I felt vulnerable. like even after a year. I mean, y- even even though I'm like fuck, I got a year. I'm like fuck, I'm still a newcomer. Mm-hmm. God damn, you know. But it was f- after a after a year and moving on, like I felt much different. You know, I mean, obviously until I start doing work. You know, I didn't start doing step work until my second year, and then my third year was, like, the best year, you know, and then it just kept on getting better and better, but um, I remember, like, the f- when I hit my one year, I was like, fuck, yeah, I'm in the club now, you know, the mm. you know, so fucking single chip, blah, 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 and there was a lot of decisions that I was making and doing, and it was all behavior stuff, too. I was like, fuck, I'm a newcomer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. God, what am I doing? You know, still, like, living the same way but clean, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I think my thought my thought process and, like, the things that I would say and do to people, I'm like, fuck, I'm still a piece of shit. I got so much work to do. Fuck. I had the race epiphany fucking, the, or the race marathon epiphany when I got a year because I had put so much emphasis on getting a year, getting a year, getting a year. And then I got it, and, like, I think I took it, and I like I was, like, fucking hoity-toity, and some guy's like, cool, now you get to do this for the rest of your life. And it was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. I am, this is literally a drop in the bucket of the rest of my fucking life. I still haven't done any work. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah. What's your favorite step, by the way? Yeah. The first one. I love to, well, one, two, and three. I love to work them all. Yeah, he does that, the shuffle. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I'm going to get a new sponsor because fuck him. And that's not how, it, that's not. Nah, I'm just kidding. I just stopped calling. We're all friends. I just, yeah. I just yeah. ghost him. Yeah. Just cycle through. Yeah. What about you? What step are you on? Five. You're about to drop a fifth? About to drop a fifth. That's very good. So you have two years, right? Mm-hmm. You just got two years in June. Two years in June. Nice. Fucking rad. Yeah, two and it and I dragged through the fourth step, you know, and I had every excuse, too. And then it was like, I don't know, once I finally surrendered, I was like, oh, yeah, everything doesn't have to be hard, you know? Like, we make our lives so difficult when we're in active addiction, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. like you said, like, still doing the same thing sober. Like, I'm still making some really stupid decisions, but I'm sober, and sometimes I would think that was enough, but, like, really, it's not. Like, you have to do the work. And so um, the closer I got to my sponsor, and, like, like you said, like, the more I did the work, I felt like, oh, like, I'm in, like, I'm starting to get what everyone's talking about at the meetings now. Like, when you really go to the meetings that are, like, recovery-focused and you start hearing about the peace that people are really 
living in their life and like no matter like your problems don't go away when you get sober you just learn how to deal with them differently and like the problems I have now like I used to pray for the kind of problems that I have now you know versus what I was living in so um, and that really comes from like doing the work instead of just running around still on fire wondering why I can't put the fire out right that's a the fireman routine ah Graf, tell us about that. <laughs> well, when you get these boots on, <laughs> you wear two pairs of socks so you don't get your boots smoked. Yeah. <laughs> it's the the age old meme of the dog in the house that's on fire. This is okay. Yeah, right. I'm fine. We're cool. Everybody's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. okay. I'm comfortable. I don't know here. about them, but I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, fuck that guy. Yeah, right. So, how did Freedom Machines come about? This is your brand. This is a brand I manage, actually. So oh. um, that actually came out of with Brandon Quaid. And he it's something he had started and he really wanted to, like, run with. And at the time, I was working motor clothes there. And although I loved working at that shop, like, I was just desperate for growth. Like, I had been putting up huge numbers on the board. I was breaking records. Like, I'm setting a pace here. Give me more. Like, I'm ready. Like, I'm a one thing I am is a hard worker, for sure. And so I'm like, I want to do more work for the company. What else can I do? I start dabbling in social media there, um, like a little bit of the marketing stuff. And so he comes up with this brand and um, eventually, it, you know, he was looking at different ways to make it work. And eventually I kind of got to the point where he decided to work with me on it. And I was really grateful for that. And so that was last year and it was kind of like slow and, you know, slow to take off. But then I knew coming up on my, this would have been like my third year at the shop and I hadn't really gone anywhere. And it's not so much that I hadn't done anything different, but it's a small shop. So it was really hard to grow in. And I'm looking at my life like, okay, like I've got some recovery now and I know I can do more. I can like contribute more. I can just have a different life where I'm looking at the bigger picture of like, I don't really want to work for someone anymore. Like I don't want to play this game anymore. Like I'm not having fun. Um, and it's showing up like I don't want to be an employee that has a bad attitude coming to work you know like I want to show up and like show my gratitude for this place and like that's not how I'm showing up anymore and I think I can manage to do this thing on my own which was photography social media management and so it worked out really well that when I decided to leave I was able to take a bigger role in the Freedom Machines brand and so now I've been managing that full-time along with like photography and other services that I offer and so it's a really neat brand and I just love having the opportunity to like have full creative freedom over it and kind of do a little bit of whatever I think would serve it best and so it's been really fun and like the booth like we had here that was like our I think our second time ever having a booth and so like just like learning to figure that out and um, again it's kind of like for my own selfish reason too even though it's not my specific brand like I still get to meet people like you and I get to talk about recovery and like had I not had that drive to get that brand here um, I don't think this conversation would have come about. No, I'm really glad you reached out to me. It's like, I say it all the time. I stole it from somebody. Otter God. Like, yeah. this is something that was just the pieces, this puzzle piece was meant to fit here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fucking rad. And you're a badass. It's like, you're very, like, thorough in where you where you are with yourself. And, like, that's refreshing. Thank you. Yeah. Like, knowing exactly who you are and what you offer, that's a fucking solid quality. Definitely agree. Yeah, always figuring it out, always what's trying to figure it next? out. What's next? That's a great question because I know before, like, I would have loved to say, like, this, this, and this. But, like, really I'm just at a place of surrender of, like, I'm just going to see where this goes because I left a really good paying job. I left a really stable job. It was steady. And I took this leap of faith of, like, 
I think I can do this thing on my own. And so photography and the social media management, that's like my full-time gig. That's my only source of income right now. And so I, every month it is a struggle. Um, you guys know how it is. I mean, it's like you have to constantly go out there and figure out new customers and figure it out. And I'm like, sometimes I really mess up and sometimes I really land it. And so every single month I'm like, we'll see if I make it, like, we'll see what happens. And yet every month, you know, like I'm provided for, like God takes care of me, like the right doors continue to open, you know? And so I just keep trusting that that's going to play out. And I'd love to see my media company grow more into something bigger where I can offer more services and be able to find new ways to give back, like finding something that we can give back to where it helps even a couple of people, you know, have different options for recovery. So that's something I'm kind of working on the side with a couple of people right now. But um, we'll see if I end up having to go back and get a job somewhere, then so be it if that's what's in God's plans. But if not right now, I am just like really enjoying the ride and just having the time of my life. Fuck yeah. Next indicated step. Yeah. Two years clean, just fucking on fire. I love that. Yeah. It's fucking great to watch. It's awesome. Thank you. We'll have you back on whenever the fuck you want. Yeah. Anytime. But I just want to specifically say thank you so much for coming down here, Bree, and really sharing a fucking rock solid message and like, Please be ready for the influx of messages because oh, we, we're just going to forward yeah. them. Buckle up. Yeah, we're just going to forward <laughs> yeah. them your way. Yeah. Because yeah, we, I mean, we have a lot of guys that are on the show. We, I mean, we have women too that have come on, but this story was special. So it's going to be, I already, I already know the people are going to be fucking de- They're going to reach out to you. They're going to reach out to us. So it's going to be great. Yeah. I'm always here to talk yeah. when it comes to recovery. Anytime I can help someone out or share my story. And um, like I said, even if it's, might be something embarrassing for me. Like I know that someone else is out there dealing with it too. And so any way I can ever be of service, you guys just let me know. Fuck. Where can people find you? Um, I am on Instagram at mz.briewhite. Ms. Bree White. Ms. Bree White. Thanks guys. Check that out. Thanks for coming on. Mm-hmm. It's been another episode of LFG 1904 show. Boom. Hell yeah. God damn. damn. Dude, honestly, yeah? you're fucking... You should start your podcast yeah. again for one. I, I, it's, it's not. I keep getting that feedback, so I'm like, maybe it's just, maybe it's just time to do it. I don't know.